Yo, it's Dan from Studying Pixels. Uh, I'm feeling kind of nostalgic in this replay episode. So nostalgic, in fact, I want to take you all back to a time that I think you'll probably all remember, which was when people lied to you on the playground. Yes, uh, when video games were new and the internet was uh, not quite what it was today, a lot of rumors came around. And in this episode, we talk about one of the most infamous ones, the myth of missing no. I felt it was kind of appropriate to get this episode a little more play, since uh, as this is coming out, we're about a week away from the new Pokemon game. So lots of fun on the horizon. Uh, although there is something, no pun intended, missing, I think, from new games that don't have these kinds of rumors sprouting up around them because rumors can be ousted so quickly now that people scour game files and put everything about them online. Not quite the same with Pokemon Red and Blue, which we get into a little bit here about really one of the first uh, maybe proto-creepypastas as well. So enjoy this episode, The Myth of Missing No. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we get started, I have to say that I'm in a very perilous situation because my PS5 is currently plagued by the rest mode bug. This is so upsetting to hear. This I'm getting a Red Ring of Death flashbacks from the Xbox 360. It seems to be something that affects not only me, but I found a couple of people online who struggle with a similar thing, and there is no real fix at the moment, it seems. So basically, one of the features that the PS5 just obviously comes with is the rest mode, so that at any given point, you should be able to put the PS5 into rest mode, and then it suspends the game. And if you turn it back on, then within... I would say two seconds, you're back in, which is super neat, especially if you have like several short um, intervals of play. However, what my PS5 does now is, I think it only happens when I actually have a game running. It doesn't happen when I'm just in the menu. Then I I send it into rest mode and it tries to initiate it, but then it just shuts down all of a sudden completely. And I can't turn it back on with the controller, but I have to press the power button twice. At the first time, it only beeps and does nothing else. And the second time, then, it boots up. And then there's like, you know, uh, the PS5 hasn't been turned off properly. Database needs to be restored. Something like this. Yeah. So it, does, it doesn't really affect the operation of the PS5 in general. But it's just annoying to have such a, a new device that has such a bug. And you can't effectively make the rest mode unusable for me. That is annoying. That sounds like uh, it's almost as if the PS5 is thinking that every time that happens, you've completely unplugged it from a power source or something? 
That's exactly how it feels, yeah. Yeah, that's very odd. Well, yeah, like you say, is that, uh, you know, corrupting all of your save data and making your life a living hell? Probably not, but it is annoying. It's the PS5. It should be working smoothly. It is annoying. It depends on the game how annoying it is. Like, if you have a game where you can save at any point, that's pretty cool. But I do remember playing Returnal. And in Returnal, oh, no. it's like, you know, in Returnal, you can't save. And if you turn yeah. off the console, if you shut off the game, then you have to restart the entire run. And sometimes these runs take several hours. And I've just had this problem persistently that I wanted to just send it into rest mode because I had something else to do. And I thought, okay, then I can continue later. No can do. Well, Godspeed. I hope that it gets resolved swiftly. Yeah, the Sony support is quite forthcoming. Um, I, I've tried everything I can try on my own, and now the next step will be to send it in. That's a bit more of a lengthier process, and one fear that I have is that they receive it and they check the hardware. And if they can't find anything wrong with the hardware, they'll just send it back. And that will just be like, you know, wasting three or four weeks of time and then getting the same kind of problem again. <laughs> I had a I had a similar panic attack moment um a couple of days ago where i i had been playing uh tales of arise the new um jrpg and i had one trophy left to get and uh for whatever reason the trophy popped for me but then it took days to sink and so i was in this horrible limbo where i thought did i do all of that work to get the platinum just for it to cut me off at the last moment <laughs> Oh, that will be so painful. Oh, I was I was ready to be very upset, but luckily it, it fixed itself. Yeah, usually trophy synchronization is something that happens over time. You never know when. It's always a surprise. Right. <laughs> I also want to shout out that we've got a really nice comment from Kaylee Hultner. Last week, we discussed one of their articles um, on the question of whether it is legitimate to, let's say, endorse pirating a game like Metroid Dread directly after it released. Dan, you brought this article on the show and we discussed it and we made some counter-arguments and now Kaylee Hultner came over to leave us a nice comment with counter-arguments uh, once more. So to all of you listening out there, if you're curious, I think it might at some point make sense that we do an entire episode on the question of, you know, the legitimacy of pirating games or something. I think so. But... For now, we can just say if you want to read up on that debate, then please check out studyingpixels.com, the Squid Game episode. And of course, you can always reach us. You know that. You can send us emails to podcast at studyingpixels.com and you can reach us via social media. And of course, you also know that this show is a free and independent podcast. We do rely entirely on your support. And that is why we offer you something in return. And that is Studying Pixels Plus, which is essentially our Patreon program. And if you decide to support us, because that's what we really need in order to keep this project alive, then you get three wonderful things at once. First, you get our sincere gratitude and the good feeling of supporting an independent show. Secondly, you get a lovely sticker, and that sticker says, I am studying pixels. And underneath is our particularly cute mascot, Pixel Coon. And thirdly, you get a monthly plus episode. And this month, still, we announced it a couple of times already. We always mention it at the beginning of our regular free episodes. We did a plus episode on how not to write a term paper. So if you're just getting geared up for this winter term or this fall term uh, and you have some term papers to write, then this is something you definitely want to pay attention to. If you want to get Studying Pixels Plus, then please head over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more.
Today we want to focus on a myth, a really vast and particularly interesting video game myth. Yes. So, dear listeners, if you will, I want to take you back to a magical time that I refer to as the mid to late 1990s. <laughs> uh, if you can, if you can, uh, you know, harken back with me, step through the veil of time, and think about a time where the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is today. It was still kind of getting its footing, but video games were still very big, and especially a game called Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue uh, were very big on the playground at schools and schoolyards. And with popularity in schools and schoolyards comes a lot of rumors, and so. Those among you who are starting to feel the, the nostalgia creep up on your back may be thinking, I think Dan and Stefan are about to talk about Missing No from Pokemon Red and Blue. You would be right to assume that. Yeah, yes. yeah. I remember that I was on a vacation with my family when Pokemon Red came out for the original Game Boy. Mm. And I saw it at Toys R Us. And I was so persistent, I was such a persistent little brat, that eventually <laughs> <laughs> my parents just caved and were like, okay, I'm going to buy you this weird Pokemon thing, whatever it is. And I plugged it into my, into my adapter for my Super Nintendo system, where you could put in a Game Boy cat cartridge so that you could play it on a TV and it would be a little bit colored, because normally yeah. these games were completely without color. But on the SNES, it would just add in a splice of, of very simple colors and... Uh, that's the way I enjoyed and appreciated Pokemon. And that's still where my most nostalgic memories of this series are coming from. Well, I think, I think we have, uh, we had similar bratty childhoods because I also, <laughs> uh, you know, I was a big fan of the, of the Pokemon show and I was so excited to get a game and, and it was one of the first games that I ever had really that was mine. And, uh, I remember being very closely attached to Pokemon Blue version. And uh, I think that's not an uncommon experience um, for people who play video games because there is something very special about Pokemon, especially back in those days when it was new and exciting and uh, a little mysterious too. Um, you know, that was kind of a, a an interesting time in in games where you maybe didn't think about where the game came from or you didn't think about the background. It was just cool and fun and you you loved every minute of it and because of that kind of mystery i think uh kids got a lot of leeway making things up <laughs> yeah. about video games and um one thing that was not made up though was missing no or missing number and i have a very clear memory of it do you remember when you first encountered this thing i actually don't i do remember i do remember because i used missing no I, I caught missing no mm. and i think from just my recollection i think it was something i read in a video game magazine some kind of nintendo power play yeah. something i don't know what it was something like that and they had a description on how you could uh, get missing no and multiply items i think because you only had as, as far as i recall you only got throughout the entire game of pokemon red one master ball that you could mm -hmm. use to catch any Pokemon immediately. And the thing is, obviously, you wanted to keep that to catch, I think, Mewtwo or Mew? Yeah, Mewtwo. 
Mewtwo, and yeah. so I I kept that. But the thing is that there are other really difficult Pokemon to catch and really rare Pokemon, and so I wanted to multiply that. And there was this exploit glitch that featured this weird thing, this weird creature called Missing No. Yes. Well, that's that's exactly how I heard about it. Um, so not not in a magazine, although we can talk about that in a minute. But um, so when I was uh, when I was younger, I had an after school program where all the kids brought their Game Boys and we played Pokemon together. And this is where a lot of, you know, trading and playing Pokemon cards, Pokemon was gigantic. It, it can't be, it can't be understated how big Pokemon was when it came out. It was Pokemon cards were literally like a currency on our schoolyard. Yeah. <laughs> and it caused lots of fights, if I remember correctly. Mm. But when I was in this after school program, um, a friend of mine, he said to me, hey, have you, have you heard about this uh, infinite rare candy uh, glitch in Pokemon Blue? Rare candies are the item that uh, instantly level up your Pokemon by one level. And so he said, there's a way to get infinite items. And the way that you do it is you find this mysterious thing called Missing No. And he laid out uh, this kind of elaborate at the time anyway, seeming scheme to get missing no to appear. And when I went through all of those steps and got it to appear, it, it felt like I was uh, encountering like a, like a ghost out of an urban legend or something, because it seems so when he was explaining to me what it was, this mysterious Pokemon that you, it's not supposed to exist. And if you encounter it, it does strange things to your game. Um, it sounds like a creepypasta, right? And I think that this may be the birth of a lot of creepypastas in a way. I think it, Pokemon is particularly prone to creepypastas. If I think back alone to the fact that I had I had a poster on my door at that time that featured all the Pokemon from the first generation, including their types and elemental weaknesses and so on. Yeah. And it was just something that I used to refer to when encountering some kind of Pokemon. I'd like look it up and I'd be like, make tiny check marks if I caught it and so on. Yeah. Although there was one Pokemon that was suspiciously not on there and that was missing no, right? Because yes. it wasn't supposed to exist. It's something that kind of has its own, a, a life of its own, which is why I think it's legitimate that we also refer to it in this episode as the myth of missing no. Yes. Um, and so the myth of missing no turns out to be true. Mm. And the way, the way that you get to it, I just want to explain sort of the process. So um, because it's really... As a kid, it's really esoteric and weird. But then as you learn sort of what's happening in the in the game's code when you're doing these steps, um, it makes this uh, this whole thing seem a lot more like something that couldn't happen today for a number of different reasons. So what is missing no? Missing no stands for missing number um, or short for missing number rather. Um, and there's a way to manipulate the random encounters in Pokemon Red or Blue that allows this thing to appear. And the way that you do this is you there's a tutorial um, in one of the first towns. So you watch this tutorial of an old man catch, showing you how to catch a Pokemon. Uh, then you fly, you instantly warp to Cinnabar Island, one of the game's later um, areas. And when you're there, you surf up and down the coastline, and eventually you'll encounter this uh, bizarre uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Pokemon in quotes because it's really 
it's some strange creature and it looks like a backwards L. Or if you're an unlucky kid like me, you get traumatized because an unused uh, sprite for a fossil Pokemon pops up and it's like a terrifying skeleton. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it is to a certain degree random how it looks as well. Yeah. It's sometimes just a mass of uh, glitching colors. Yeah, the that's most... what it was for me. It was for me like an L, like an L-shaped glitch. That that is a, evidently the most common one. Mm. Um, but basically, what the what the glitch is doing is it's uh, this is really this is really cool. What's actually happening? So, walking you back through the steps. The first step is watching the tutorial. Then you fly to Cinnabar Island. Then you surf up and down the coast to find it. So, the really important thing is when you go into the tutorial. Usually, when a, an encounter would appear, your character appears, the Pokemon trainer. But instead of this, an old man appears, and the game recognizes that the character's name, because the sprite is in your place, changes to old man. Now, usually, when you would leave that town and go into a new area, all of the, um, the data that was changed would get kind of overwritten, and it would go mm. back to zero, so that you would be a Pokemon trainer again, and you know, anything that had changed in that cutscene, it would be negated. But if you fly instantly to Cinnabar Island, Cinnabar Island is the only place in the game that doesn't automatically overwrite your data. So the game still recognizes that your name is different. Your name doesn't exist. It's not supposed to be old man. Mm, (laughs) And so when it sees this, it tries to kind of counter this by pulling other data that doesn't exist Namely, missing no, the missing number Pokemon that maybe was supposed to exist in an earlier build or is just sort of the game not understanding that you're uh, you're not the old man, basically. And it causes this, uh, this glitch in your game where the benefits are you get infinite items in one of the slots in your inventory, whichever item is in the sixth slot. So that's how you get those infinite master balls or rare candies. Um, the downside though, is that certain areas of the game are glitched permanently, like the hall of fame at the end of it, all of your Pokemon look strange. Um, and there's all kinds of other rumors circulating that by doing this, you may actually corrupt your game permanently. Yeah. I was wondering, was there ever something involved in this process where you had to leave your Nintendo system, the SNES back then, or the Game Boy on for over 12 hours or something? Oh, I never heard that. Was that something you heard part of it? Because that's exactly what I did. Um, oh, really? Was, yeah, yeah. That was still at the time, I think. That's the magic about it. At the time, it was not possible to just go online for on a forum where people had already discussed this at length. And that's why you just followed instructions from someone. And I heard that you needed to leave your Nintendo system on for, I think, at least 12 hours or something in order to to duplicate these items or something like that. Yeah, and that's what I did. That's what I did. And I actually got these like 99 master balls eventually. Yeah. But uh, I would say I would say it was a little bit difficult to explain to my parents why they were not allowed to turn off the Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't understand. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm you hacking the system. <laughs> It felt like hacking the system. I think this is so so interesting about your explanation that you just gave by paralleling what you would actually do in the game and what would happen on a level of, uh, let's say, the, the functional operations in the code. Because what you're really doing, and this is the case, I think, for many of these types of glitches and exploits, is 
by triggering certain actions in a very specific order that have make absolutely no sense in the diegetic world or in the fiction of the game, you're basically fumbling around with the code. You're writing code. You're, it's actually like a little bit of very abstract form of programming. This is also yeah. how many Super Mario glitches work, where you can directly jump from the first level to the very end of the game, and suddenly you have like a speed run that is only like 20 seconds long of a game. <laughs> Something right. like that. Yeah, I think this is, this is super interesting because it shows how intricately connected the representational layer of the game is with the operational layer of it, which is the code. Usually invisible, but it needs to be very precisely accessed and handled in order to trigger such a, a glitch, such an exploit. Yes, and I think that the the fun of, of this missing no glitch is that um, we can, you know, you can look back on it now and understand that that's what you're doing. Any, any glitch or, or cheat or whatever you want to call it, you're doing something you're, you're almost tricking the game. You're rewriting the code, like you say, to do this thing. But what was so, I think what makes this a myth, I think, uh, is that how you couldn't know that's what was happening when you were mm. younger. And so it seemed as though you tapped into this weird secret. And I think what I, what I really loved about this, especially as a kid and then looking back on it, is that Pokemon is... Um, the the story of it, if you look past just getting the badges and fighting with monsters, it is kind of about um, secret lab experiments that have gone wrong. Yeah, you two, like we mentioned, is mm. is this secretive DNA experiment, and so there's something almost as if it's believable that this glitch would exist in the in the narrative of the world because of the other things around it. It totally is believable. It fits the the motto of the game perfectly. It says, "Gotta catch them all." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and whether this whether, whether missing no is intentionally in there or not, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna catch that thing, you know, <laughs> because if if it's there, it's it's practically to me. It was a Pokemon. It was the rarest superpower Pokemon. I think you could even. I, I'm not sure whether I was able to fight with it because I do remember catching it and I had it in my list. Yeah. And it was like listed as, you know, like Pokemon 000 in the, in the Pokedex. And yeah. I'm not sure whether it had any actual powers or whether there was anything it could actually do. Like, it's not like a ditto that is that is very deliberately coded into the game and having the capability of adopting other Pokemon's uh, attacks and, and powers. Signal was just kind of like a, yeah, it was just kind of a glitch. I don't know what it did when I, when I put it through it into a fight. I think it was... Um... Because I did the same thing. I caught it. And uh, I remember uh, I got into this weird cycle where when I would use it in a fight, um, if it got any amount of experience points, it would go to like level 256, which is a level you can't reach in the game. But it's a, it's a you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, a, a numeric value that exists in Pokemon technically, but you just don't ever use it. Um, and so missing no would get to 256 and then he would go back to zero. And yeah, it was, it, it did feel like, obviously there's something wrong here, but also it felt like maybe it was a nut you could crack and figure out the secret of. I think this reminds me of games that, that are rather, let's say, inspired by such ways of engaging with mm. the technological foundation of it. Because we do know that, I mean, missing no was was certainly at the time very unique 
Mm. But now we have such games like Undertale or Doki Doki Literature Club games that basically almost include in the way they are, they ought to be played that you go into the system file. It's not, not the system files, but the game files and that you yeah. write in certain elements or that you erase certain files from the folders and such things in order to manipulate what's going on in the game. And I think that's probably inspired by something like Missing No. I, th I think you're right. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think of things like, uh, you mentioned Undertale, like, you know, the, the myth, I suppose, of Gaster, that character that, um, has a one in a, I don't know, uh, it's, it's something crazy. The, it's a character that just very, very randomly, you have very, um, small odds of seeing this character, but it's this sort of skeleton looking creepy image that will just appear in certain places. And I, I do get the sense that Toby Fox remembered the, the thrill of seeing missing no and, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if I put something in a game deliberately that was meant to make you think, did I break the game somehow? Yeah, I think it was for a long time also a speculation of whether Missing No was actually an accident or whether there was something that was supposed to be there. Mm. I think it took Nintendo a while to actually respond to this. At least when I encountered the glitch back then, it was still unclear whether this was intentional or whether it was truly just simply an oversight. Yeah. And I think, I, unfortunately, we don't live in a, a universe interesting enough that the latter isn't true. I think it was just a mistake. <laughs> it was just a but, mistake. It, yeah. it was a mistake, but it didn't hinder people at all to make it into a thing. Because once, oh, yeah. such, a, once such a mistake happens, once such an oversight happens, a glitch occurs, and suddenly a Pokemon exists that was not supposed to exist, I think that is the perfect time to latch onto it and to write, for example, fan fiction about missing no, about a Pokemon that's not supposed to be, and to include it into the lore. And I think there are probably people out there who still hope that one day, <laughs> suddenly, oh, and I wouldn't yeah. put it past Nintendo that in one uh, Pokemon install installment years later, there's suddenly a thing and it's like missing no, <laughs> suddenly part of the yeah. game. They could definitely do that. And that's why I think it's such a powerful myth because it's been explored, exploited, and then included and elaborated upon by an entire community of people dedicated to the world of Pokemon. Yes, and I think that what you're, what you're getting at too is that um, there's a certain level of, I, I wonder if this was meant, I wonder if this was intentional. I wonder if it's real, if it's meant to be in the game. And I think that, the funny thing about glitches like Missing No is that it lends a certain credence to other playground rumors with video games where, hey, it turned out that Missing No was real. So I, to keep a Pokemon example, I bet that finding Mew underneath the truck is also real. Wait, Mew under what truck? This was an old rumor. Again, it propagated in magazines and cheap books like back before, back before the internet was able to debunk all of these things and there was an idea that there is a there is a truck visible in one town and the idea was that if you could get to the truck and use the the move strength to move it you would find mew underneath it and i remember hearing that after hearing the missing no rumor and when the missing no rumor turned out to be true i moved heaven and earth to try to get to that truck <laughs> <laughs> But it's not actually possible. It was just a rumor. Just a rumor, as, as far as I'm aware. 
I, I think it's been debunked at this point, <laughs> but probably uh, yeah, yeah. But there's there's lots of things like that where there were just these ideas of um, maybe this is something that can actually happen in the game. Another one that comes to my mind was um, spoilers for Final Fantasy VII, I suppose. But you the know, original Aerith. Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So. Aerith dies at the end of disc one and I can't tell you how many people I ran into uh who would say oh there's a way to revive her and get her back mm, yeah that's wishful thinking there yes yes that's but wishful miss thinking. missing no was real so maybe yeah, exactly <laughs> I think it just it imbues players and player communities with a sense of authorship and I think that's really something that changed how people looked at such creations like like Pokemon, because suddenly there was this thing that wasn't supposed to be, that wasn't, it didn't, Nintendo didn't put it in there. Nintendo didn't think about, okay, what kind of significance does this have in the, have in the story? So who basically owns, who has the authorship, who has the control over what Missing No is and what it's going to be in the story? Well, the player communities that have discovered this and elaborated upon it and written guides and walkthroughs and so on. And I think that's just part of its of the, the strength of its myth to imbue mm. players with the power of authorship or at least co-authorship of what happens. It's a part to make one, one tiny fraction of this game to make it truly yours. That's a really, a really interesting point, especially since, uh, when Nintendo finally did speak on it, they were all but threatening people not to do it saying, mm. uh, you know, because this is a powerful exploit. You get infinite of any item you want. You can do this any number of times. You can go back and do the tutorial, go back to the island, and you can do this as many times as you want. Get infinite Master Balls, rare candies, elixirs, whatever you want. And uh, there were um, a few magazines that had this kind of boilerplate warning from Nintendo saying, if you do this, it will corrupt your Pokemon game. It will it will brick your cartridge. Do not do this. Of course, that wasn't true, but they were very were very adamant that you not do this. And so, it does exist in this kind of limbo space where it is part of a Nintendo game, but Nintendo admonishes against it. And it was back in a time where they can't just patch things out of video games. I, I understand Nintendo. I understand that they are so concerned because obviously they. Nintendo are, is a company that's very strongly curates it ga its games and playtests and tries to get, at, you know, they're not all about graphics, but uh, they are very competent and very precise when it comes to fine-tuning gameplay. And I think they were very worried that mm. uh, people would just basically break the game and then Pokemon would basically disappear as some a little bit like what today is like a goat simulator, you know, where you ha don't have any control over anything that's going on. That's deliberate, obviously, but uh, yeah. but certainly not a game that you would expect from from Nintendo. But I do also think that yeah, they were they were to a certain degree powerless because once you had that cartridge in your hands, there's no way that you can just you know patch things because nowadays you still have the situation if you buy physical games and you put them into your console or your, in your PC and you do not install any patches that you will often encounter quite a few uh, glitches and things that are completely well, missing nose just like a minor incident in comparison to all the glitches and bugs that are in, in contemporary games yeah. unless you get the day one patch. So I think um, I think the significance of missing no can't be uh, 
can't be overestimated. I think so. And I, I think maybe we can end this, this look back on what I think is just a really, um, something that could have only existed at the time. It, it's not something that we can replicate now. It was just kind of a, and not to be over nostalgic, but it was a, a really cool time in video games where the internet wasn't, um, as available to everybody. So there was no easy way of debunking things. Pokemon was the biggest thing in the world. And so people were uh, ready to eat up anything they heard about it. And Nintendo couldn't, nothing was connected to the cloud, so Nintendo couldn't fix the problem. And so here it is. It exists and has for 20-ish years at this point, 20 plus years. Yeah. So a very interesting footnote in gaming history. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.